0: on this week's episode. I'm delighted to be joined by Mitch Sullivan, author, recruiter and copywriter with nearly 50,000 followers on LinkedIn. He's a LinkedIn master who creates incredible content full of wisdom, satire, fun and hard truths. Mitch Sullivan, welcome to the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. I'm delighted to have you on the show. Um, 50,000 connections. We've spoken before a few years back about retainers, actually. I've always loved your content. Um, how I would describe you is that you take the piss, but nicely and in a very informative way. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Tell me more. Of
1: in, taking the piss is something I've got better at over the years, <laughs> actually.
0: Yeah. Tell the audience a bit more, those that don't know, what you currently do.
1: Okay. Um, I, I, look, I, I run a training business that I started seven years ago. Or a product. It's not a business because it, it still operates under under my original company name. Um, but it's a copy. It's very specific. It's and training um, course specifically for recruiters. Um, that's kind of been it was successful pretty much from the get go, mm-hmm. um, and it's just ticking over nicely, gradually increasing quarter on quarter. Yeah. Um, I kind of own that training niche in the UK. Although to be fair, I created it because it didn't exist be- before I came along with this. Um, so my next challenge now, time permitting, is um, to try and export it to the rest of the world, really. Wow. So, and obviously that means America and Canada mm-hmm. more significantly. So, Great. so yeah. Um, I still do a bit of recruitment um, because I like to get my hand in. And it adds to my credibility as a trainer. So sure. I probably fill four or five jobs a year. Great. Increasingly, more of them tend to be recruitment jobs because I have a big network of recruiters, particularly here in the UK.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I get involved in some marketing and advertising campaigns. Again, off the back of the strength of that copywriting for a recruiter brand, yeah. I'll occasionally get approached to produce ads or create ad campaigns. And I've got a team of creatives and copywriters that I, I go back to to, to do that.
0: Great. I mean, my experience tells me that there's a huge market for your services because I think copywriting in itself, you're, you're I'm sure you agree with this, is very underestimated. In fact, the quality of ad writing and, and JDs in general is pretty poor. Would you say? Yeah.
1: Well, we're going to have to make a distinction between ads and JDs at some point. But yeah, it, look, it 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 is and it isn't actually. In some ways, I think I think the rise of social media has mm. made the creation of content. Uh, more of an everyday thing, so yeah. I think more people who've got some natural ability at that have come to the fore. Yeah, um, which is which is good. Um, people have probably intuitively got better at writing mm-hmm. or communicating what they want to express because of social media. Um, however, the bad side is that I think a lot of recruiters or people in the recruitment industry have got locked into habits, yeah, mm. uh, which at its worst manifests itself in them regurgitating job descriptions and expecting them to behave like job ads. Yes. Um, And that's really the battle that Jackie and I have been sort of waging over the last seven years is getting people to understand that the two are very, very different things that have very different purposes. I think
0: there's a lot of kind of copy and pasting and shortcutting going on in terms of... Yeah, it's um, the
1: most widely used technology in recruitment.
0: (laughs) So what is the distinction? I mean, in in your eyes, I think, uh, because a lot of people wouldn't necessarily call that, that as a distinction.
1: no. Well, anyone who doesn't think there's a distinction between a job description and a job advert is, um, well, they're an idiot. So I'm thinking of a better way to put it. But, you know, it, it, they have two completely job functions, two different job functions, mm. um, you know, to distill it down to one word. A job ad's job is to sell and a job description's job is to tell. Mm. Um, and, and that's it. One gives information mechanical information yeah. mechanical data about a job mm. it's driven by things like compliance yeah yeah uh, and legal uh, a job ad is driven by sales and marketing and it's there to encourage people to want to find out more
0: sure yeah let's go to the job description first because you can qualify a job to the hill right but just qualifying a binary uh, criteria of what the person is is not going to be enough. I mean, what's your understanding of what a, J- a good JD looks like?
1: Uh, I'm not an expert on JDs, so um, I'm probably not the best person to ask and I don't really spend a lot of time looking at them mm-hmm. other than if I'm working and filling a job myself. Right. But, but you know, my job as a recruiter is, is to distill the JD down to workable information that I can use when yeah. trying to attract the right types of people to that job. Mm. Um, so I, all I can really comment on is is the mistakes that get yeah. replicated in the job ad from the JD. But, you know, I, look, all pieces of let – me, let me put this another way. Uh, very few people want to read a job description on a job board.
0: Yeah.
1: Particularly at the moment because most of the people looking at jobs on a job board are in are in a job. Mm-hmm. They're not unemployed, most of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um even back when the economy was normal, according to data that I've seen, around sixty percent of all job board traffic was coming from people who were looking to improve their situation in some way. Yeah. So, in other words, they were employed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, what tends to happen is is, is that no, nobody's really going to want to read a, a an eight hundred word job description mm-hmm. on a job post if they're casually browsing. Yes. Because what they're looking for, potentially, is something that might be better than what they're doing. Um, And Mm. so if a piece of content doesn't make it easy for them to find that out really quickly, they're probably not going to invest time reading it. But however, people will read a job description, Mm. an 800 word, 900 word job description, if it's about a job they've already decided that they might be interested in. Right. Because then they're looking at the finer detail. Who are they reporting to? What are the key tasks or responsibilities? Yeah, yeah. Um, what are, what are the essential criteria they need to have? What are the nice to haves that they might not have that they might have to learn? Mm. Yeah, that 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 that. Then they'll have the motivation to look at it, but but yeah. not before.
0: I th- I think recruitment's changed more so in the last <coughs> two years than it has in the last ten, in, specifically in the form of kind of introductions. So things like CVs, things like JDs, adverts. Um, the way we even converse with our clients and our candidates has completely changed. I think the personal branding. I mean, the CV itself. I mean, the average recruiter only spends six or seven seconds looking at a CV, right? So.
1: Well, so they say. I'm not convinced that's a that's a true statistic. Actually, six or seven seconds yeah. not long. Um, I, I think it might be true of of CVs that aren't going to get looked at at all. Yeah. So in other words, it may take only 10 seconds to determine that a CV is not appropriate. Mm. So if you're filling a project manager job and what you're looking at is a CV for a gardener or a waiter, yeah. you, you, that can get done in under 10 seconds. But yeah. I think anything else, you need to take a little bit of a closer look. But but, but, I, but, but yeah, I take uh, your point that, that...
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if I was a hiring manager and I received a CV or I received a phone call, a video or some sort of creative way of introducing themselves i would always go for the latter because i think i think personality behaviors attitudes tends to trump skills and experience anyway would you say depends
1: on the job mm -hmm. sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't depends um i don't think it it trumps skills and knowledge um and experience in a lot of tech roles Mm. or engineering roles Mm -hmm. or legal roles Yeah, yeah or finance and so on but probably will in things like marketing sales, customer service, jobs okay. that are comms-based. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nuanced.
0: So going, going back to your journey, I want to delve a bit deeper into, into that and also go back into things like retainers and mm. everything else. You, you say that you do recruitment, which I think is great. I think that's really important. I think, you know, in whatever role you do, you tend to have to practice what you preach, right? But what, why did you choose the copywriting route that you're doing? And I know you've, you've done some retainer courses as well. Why did not you I, just do recruitment?
1: Okay. <sighs> I decided ten eleven odd years ago that I was going to move into coaching
0: right
1: um a lot of people do as they get older, mm-hmm. yeah you just you get recruitment wears you out it's a tough business um so i didn't want to have to make rely on filling jobs to make my living yeah uh, I felt I'd accrued a lot of knowledge and experience mm-hmm. and insight, which I felt would be valuable yeah um and always the two things that I've always considered myself most most knowledgeable uh in uh, is retainers and recruitment advertising in general yeah, yeah um i always felt i made the transition from contingency to retained in 2000 two, 2000 2001 mm-hmm. and i did it off the back of my ability to produce good advertising so it was the fact that i would create much better advertising than any other recruiter Got you. in that market i was mm-hmm. working in would be enough to to get for me to justify the client paying me some money up front.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then, like anything, the more you do it, the more you learn how recruitment differs when you're working on retained as opposed to contingency. Mm. And, and the big difference yeah. is when somebody's giving you money up front, you pretty much have to fill that job. Yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that then that then shows uh, sh- throws a different shade on activities like, the brief mm. what kind of conversation you have with the hiring manager and mm-hmm. into what depth in order to understand the job so that you know be, so that you can fill it yeah. how am i going to sell the job how am i going to assess the right candidates and so you, ne- you really need to get into some of the granular stuff with the client mm. um you have to market the job well you have to distribute that marketing in in the right places you can't rush candidates like you often will do in contingency because yes. you're, you're you're under a lot of time pressure. You're competing with two or three other external agencies, mm. but when you retain, you can just take a little bit more time because some candidates need a bit more time. They don't want to be hassled. Um, you need to be able to meet them as well, yeah. um, which is a, an important criteria of, of working retained. So,
0: mm.
1: yeah, it, it changes. Uh, it significantly changes how you how you actually do the job and. What I learned from doing it is it made me a better recruiter. I became better at Mm. stuff that I'd always found tricky, such Mm. as assessing candidates. I still don't consider myself that good at it, but I'm better at it than I was because I've had to get into some of the finer detail with certain candidates in order to justify me putting them on a shortlist.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I've been in the sector 25 years now. I've built my own massive business. I've sold that. I'm an NED to lots of different businesses now, recruitment. And um, some of my clients get the retainer piece and they, they lean into it and they do it and other, other clients, they either don't get it or they fear it. So w- what advice would you give to the client or the recruiter? To the recruiting business around, you know, tackling, getting their team to get more exclusive business, get retained okay. business versus just doing contingent?
1: I I... I tend to advocate a more prudent approach to it. So any agency that would come to me and ask my advice on how to start making that transition, mm. my first piece of advice they would say, do it slowly. Do it one piece at a time. Don't just go wholesale or gung-ho at it, which I know some agencies have done and yeah. will do.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's up to them. But I, I, I don't think it's a smart way of going about it. Um, only allow your best recruiters to pitch it Mm -hmm. because fundamentally what you're pitching is your ability to definitely fill a job absolutely so if you can definitely fill a job you can articulate all of those different parts of the process yeah. and how you are going to make a significant difference to the improvement of that part of the process compared to, say, a typical contingency recruiter
0: mm.
1: who isn't going to go into as much detail in the way the job's marketed, the way the candidates are assessed. And fundamentally, that's all recruitment is, by the way. Let, let's, yeah, yeah. This needs to be said here. It, recruitment is only about two things, attraction and assessment. mm mm-hmm. Everything else is in support of those two major activities. Yeah. Uh, And that's what clients are paying for, in my view, Mm. is a recruiter's ability to be very good at attracting people to a job. So in other words, selling. Yeah. they've got to be very good at assessing who the right people are going to be, which is much harder, by the way.
0: There was a post from somebody on LinkedIn, someone relatively big on LinkedIn sort of slating the sector around you know saying we shouldn't we really charge any more than 10 or 15 percent and you know I, I think a good retainer assignment you're into it beginning with a three and just I think I think if you do it well you can justify that right but I think there's a lot of uh, negativity around <laughs> what a good recruiter actually does and the value that it, it, it delivers okay
1: the three thing is 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 it gets is interesting it gets complicated a little bit um I, I used to be in that camp where I thought recruitment agency fees were too high. Yeah. About 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of my attitude then reflected in some people now on yes. LinkedIn. Sure. Um, and it's going to sound a bit patronising, but I think I think you're going to grow out of that once yeah. you have the harsh realities yes. of the recruitment world kind of. But I used to think, wow, an agency is charging 20, 25% of first year salary. Mm. And some of the time all they're doing is flicking through, a, a you know, some CVs. Yeah, pulling out one or two, making one or two phone calls, getting one of them out of an interview and that person getting the job. Yeah, Mm. but recruitment doesn't really work like that that often, but it can do. And I've I've had situations where that's happened and I've made, I've billed £20,000 off the back of doing maybe an hour and a half's work.
0: Right. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: However, what the client is partly paying for is all that work I did in other times where I didn't earn any money. 100%. Yeah one of which resulted in that candidate being in my Rolodex or my database or on my radar.
0: Your, your 20 years previous at work. Mm, yeah.
1: So So then, you know, why are recruitment agency fees, you know, I always see agency fees as being a standard 20%. For me, that's a fair number, mm-hmm. re- yeah. regardless of, of, yeah, of yeah. the sector or the job discipline. Um, and I don't necessarily see why somebody earning 250 grand a year should be subject to a 33% fee, or, yeah? Mm-hmm necessarily right uh, although you know when, when you're going after people earning at that level there's probably i don't know 50 60 people in the country who could do that job so the margin for error is much much smaller mm. which means the 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 emphasis on the recruiter knowing what they're doing is even greater than it might normally be um but you know the fees are what they are because that's the market rate and we live in a we live mm. in a in a capitalist society, yeah. and we have to be governed to a certain extent by um, by market rates. The other thing that I think a lot of people forget is that even on retained, as a recruiter, you're still taking on a significant amount of risk
0: and time. Because, and
1: Yeah. you know, I've I've had I've taken on retainers where I haven't filled the job mm. over the entirety of my career. It's probably no more than ten percent.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: probably a little bit less, but it's it's, right, it's it? somewhere around that sort of yeah. seven to ten percent figure. Um, and the you know at best I've broken even.
0: I think I think you're right. It goes back you to know? that mindset thing about so, if you're approaching a client with uh, the right mindset and from an expert perspective and you can deliver, why wouldn't you pitch a retainer? I think I think if, for me, you can have the right process, but if you're putting the client on a pedestal too much or before you've even done anything, I think you you're kind of you're losing the
1: yeah. And look, there there are other ways around it. I mean, you don't ha- doesn't have to be you know. A third up front, a third when you deliver a shortlist mm. and the other third when when, when the when an offer's made. I mean, I've always worked to a third up front of the balance on success. Right. Okay. Because the third up front gives me some budget to play with in terms of marketing. Yeah. High copywriters. More recently in the last 10 years, I've tended to use copywriters that rather than me producing the content. And they do it better, to be honest. It's some of the best money I spend. Mm. Um, so I absorb all those costs and I've got budget to play with. Um, and it allows me the time to do the job better than how I would normally do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I've had other situations with certain clients where I've chosen, I've, I've given them a choice of say, I can either charge you 20% of the first year's salary, yeah. which is going to be a fee of, let's say, £14,000. Yeah. Or, and you have to pay a third of that upfront, front. Yeah. Or another alternative is I'll charge you a flat fee of £9,000 which you have to pay, yeah, yeah, and I'll do exactly the same amount of work as I would have done
0: yeah,
1: uh, uh, on the retainer, um, and you pay half of it up front the other half when the job's finished. And I will report to you everything that I've done with numbers, stats, CVs, everything else. And that. sometimes they choose that because it's less yeah. expensive. In three
0: simple but, lines, why would a client go for retained over contingency? What are the benefits?
1: Well, the, qu- the quality of the work. Yeah. Uh, they sh- They should be buying... Uh, a much better process, a more thorough process, both in terms of how the job is sold and marketed, mm. where how it's distributed, how those candidates are treated, the kind of respect that they're afforded, yeah. and how they're assessed, yeah. and then the whole admin and 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 bringing yes. things to to fruition. You know, there's there's a lot of attention to detail that recruiters need to bring to that entire process. Um, yeah, what was the other part of the question again? What? what, what oh, right, they're yeah. getting. They're getting greater degree of certainty that the job is going to be filled, sure. which they're not getting on contingency. Yeah. Um, and I think it creates the right impression in the mind of the candidate that this is a company that takes recruitment seriously. 100%. Which probably is not a bad thing in terms of their ability to climb on board with this company and take them seriously.
0: I think that last point I was going to say to you, I mean, that, that's an all too forgotten thing about if you approach a candidate with a role that, you're in control of, and you can dictate whether that guy gets an interview. That automatically, that role is perceived as the best role because it's 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 more urgent, and the, the, you know it's. I think the whole the whole scope, the whole process, is elevated for the from the client to the consultant to the candidate. If you can get if you can get exclusive or retained, um, it's it, I think it's the it's the way to go. But it, I mean, also that I'm, I'm not. An it, it it thing.
1: conversely, sorry to interrupt you, Chris, but conversely candidates that get approached about the same job by two or three different recruiters mm. which typically happens a lot yes on continues yeah. ever since you know the internet and job board social yeah. media that has just that, that that has gone through the roof that hardly ever happened in, in my first 10 or 12 years in the industry mm-hmm. when there was no internet it just hardly ever happened
0: yeah
1: um, but when it does it just sends a very clear signal to that candidate that this is a company that that takes haphazard approach to filling jobs exactly. and if they're that sloppy in how they hire what are they going to be like to work for
0: mm, i agree so what what pisses you off about the industry
1: <laughs> you serious all day how day long day? have we got <laughs> oh god um look the retain thing I, I i think the future of the industry or at least the people who are dedicated to being effective practitioners mm in recruitment, mm. they have to work some kind of exclusivity retain model. Totally agree. I don't think it's possible to, to be, to become anything more than a, than a, a spot trader. Yeah. Yeah. Of CVs and people and candidates. Mm. If you're working on contingency. Now it's perfectly valid way for people to cut their teeth when they first come into the industry. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think there are other ways in which we could bring new people into the sector that I don't think are, are explored enough. But so contingency will always have its place. I'm not down on contingency no. it has its place and it yeah. works it, it it works better in certain job disciplines and certain sectors than it does does yeah. others yeah yeah, but it is it has no future for anyone who considers themselves to be a good recruiter or who has ambitions mm. to be a, a very good recruiter and 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 has decided that this is their career yeah I just don't see because if if nothing else. Having to continually hustle, it grinds you down and it wears you at. And as you get older and you take on a mortgage and a spouse and you have kids yeah. and more responsibilities, you start wanting a little bit more predictability. I mean, I used to love contingency because I love the thrill of it all. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know where my money was coming from. And I kind I was a single guy. Yeah. I was spending too much money on, on alcohol and going out and, you know, all that other stuff that we do in our late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved it. It fitted with my lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and being, you know, as I've only recently found out, I've spent all my life being ADHD. Um, it kind of, it worked. Right. It worked for me. And I th- I suspect it works for a lot of people. Um, but it's not sustainable. No. I don't think it is. It?
0: No. I want to talk to you about that, your ADHD, the burnout, the alcohol kind of thing as well and a bit more about your journey but you mentioned that attraction and assessment are the two of the most fundamental things in recruitment and this is a point that I love around I think where, where recruitment consultants go wrong they'll, they'll qualify a job they'll qualify a job spec right and consultant A will go to the job board consultant B will go to the database consultant C will write an advert and every single person will do something completely different for me there's too many gaps in that process and having a, a harmonious Uh, structured process that everyone follows. follow. You don't want to create 25 mini-me's, but in in fact, Mm. you do have to have a rigid process. And I I think, I'm all for getting new new ops tools as well, but I think half the time, recruitment consultants don't use what's in front of them in the right way. Yeah,
1: no, I agree. I agree. And it makes more sense for one person to do all those things quite well Mm. than four or five different people to do them T- at varying degrees of competency. Um, yeah. look, I also think companies don't do themselves a lot of uh, favours. I think yeah. a lot of them could fill more of their own jobs if they just sat down and thought about it for Absolutely. half an hour. Absolutely, yes. You know, rather than <laughs> yeah. just knee-jerking stuff out yeah. to either their HR function or, or external agencies or, or both, which is even worse. Mm. Um,
0: but making the system work for you as well, like forgetting or not putting an advert on in the right way or not doing the right Boolean searches, all that kind mm. of stuff. It's just getting that process right. That's the attraction piece. But tell the audience and myself, like, how how do you assess people then, you, yourself personally?
1: Okay. Right, look, my one caveat here is I'm no expert in interviewing people. I'm sure you are. Okay. I'm not. I'm really not. I mean, I'm not a mug either, but, you know, I... I, I one of the things that I do when recruiting is I kind of downplay myself when it comes to the candidates. So I don't, yeah. I never big myself up. Okay. I always kind of present myself, look, I'm just the facilitator here. My job is to get you in a room mm-hmm. with somebody who may have something to offer you that you want and vice versa. Yes. And, you know, a crude analogy that, us, you know, that, that, that sums up what we do as recruiters is we put people in bedrooms. And those people decide if they want to go and go to bed with each other. Mm-hmm. Our job is to put people in rooms. Um, so my approach to assessing a candidate is I will have, when I took the brief, I will have asked the hiring manager, what are the two or three absolutely fundamental must have criteria that this candidate has got to have? Sure. Whatever they are. And I don't let them give me more than three unless it's absolutely essential. Oh, it's a shopping list, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It's most of it's bullshit. Yeah. Degree, Excel, Word. You know, oh,
0: on, on, that's another point, isn't it? You know, you must have a degree. I mean, I think that's a dime breed. Yeah, you,
1: and 12 it? years experience. Yeah, yeah it's bonkers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and most of the time they play ball. And I rarely have I gone to market with more than three must-have criteria. Mm. And those must-have criteria, all skills and knowledge-based. Yeah. What do they need to know? What do they need to be good at doing? What does their experience need to show? Mm. Never get involved in soft skills, personality, character. Oh, really? Right. No, it's too hard to measure.
0: So you wouldn't go down that route that's very interesting no, I'm, I'm, never. I, I, I'll challenge that I'm, I'm I feel that a lot of the reasons why people or companies hire people they hire on skills and experience and they' fire on behaviors and attitude and actually I, they, look, they need to get the first bit first uh, and the other, uh, the other bit is uh, an added bonus as well
1: I'm not saying that work ethic character ability to deal with adversity all those sort of soft skills mm. ability to you know, persuade people, manage right. people, get people to do what's got to be done, all of those kind of soft skills. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not important. I just don't think I'm qualified to assess people as to their effectiveness in any of those areas. Right. I think the client is far better placed to assess that than me. Mm. My job is to put people in a bedroom with them who should be there.
0: <laughs> I, yeah? th- I, th- I do. Agree. So so it's, yeah. can
1: they do the job? Yeah. Here's my criteria. Do they have the knowledge necessary to be able to do the job? That's relatively straightforward to find mm. out. And some of it I can do before I even meet them. Yeah. Does it make sense for them to do this job, logistically, right. financially? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that's it. And if 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 those boxes get ticked, they're 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 justifiable on the shortlist.
0: An interesting one. I, th- I think you're right in terms of maybe things like engineering and development. I think that I think that's right. But when you're when you're kind of running a project or doing doing something quite. Uh, like a program director type role, you know, you, you're going to have more people management skills. And I think certain styles of leadership is important, but I guess it is situation dependent. To I, yeah. Look, if,
1: if you've, if your recruitment experience has helped you accrue knowledge of leadership mm. and leadership styles, then yeah. Why wouldn't you include that in how you assess people? If it's an important part of the types of people you need to recruit, but other than sort of long-term projects that I've got involved yeah. with certain clients, where I have okay. started to hire people on culture fit. Yes. Yeah. What yeah. kind of people are they? Yeah. Do they like football and beer? You know, <laughs> if they're in the sales floor of a particular, yeah. you know, then, then yeah, that gets factored in
0: obviously. I, I, you know, I coach quite a lot of leaders and the, normally the, the usual thing where they go wrong is their own kind of like, uh, inability to grasp the soft skills actually. I think, I think particularly these days, uh, the archetypal recruitment consultant is different to what it was, what they were five, five or six years ago. I think the average, tenure for a recruitment consultant is 1.4 years is it why do you think that's the case have you got any ideas about that i've got my opinions
1: <laughs> right I need to. i need a little bit more information about that stat it's the average length of time they stay in a job is one and a half years basically yeah, yeah?
0: and i think the average in in general i think it's it's sort of a three-year thing now i think the permanency of, of, of a role is kind of waning i don't think there's not really many permanent jobs these days right uh
1: yeah maybe i haven't really thought about it actually i haven't really thought about it um why is it a a year one i I think i don't know i'm guessing off top of my head i think there's much easier availability of new jobs Mm -hmm. so it's you know it's much easier to have jobs just appear in front of you while you're doing something else yeah which Pre-internet, you had to physically go out and buy a certain trade journal or a certain newspaper on a certain day and look at the appointment section or look at the mm. you know the situations vacant column. Yeah. But social media has become that new intrusive medium that that radio and TV used to be.
0: I yeah. think I think with, with recruitment specifically though, I think it's all about where's your next deal coming from? How could your next month close the deal? And I think I think it's the short termism of the mindset around maybe that and I think that leads to burnout and disillusionment I think there's, there's the lack of kind of playing the long game a little bit about development and all that kind I, of stuff
1: yeah do I, I, you know I'd be interested to know what the average tenure of a recruiter was 10 15 20 years ago right. whether it was any different whether it was longer mm, might be because worse <laughs> yeah I don't know mm. I would I would hazard a guess that yeah I don't know actually I, I don't know I, I'm just I think one of the causes of that may be that i think a lot of recruitment agencies have struggled to deal with the advent of digital tech in general social media in particular the democratization of candidate information now anybody with the inclination of the time can go find people yes finding people is easy yes you know what you're doing yeah yeah persuading them to do something is the hard bit Mm. which is placed back to my copywriting training but but it is that's that's the tricky bit um Mm. so i think and, and what that's produced is a massive spike in the amount of companies that are bringing on board their own recruiters. Yeah. So you've got in-house recruitment teams that have just grown. And I remember predicting this on forums 20 years ago, because mm. I've, been, I've been getting into arguments with people on online forums for a long, long time I'm now. I've got to talk to you about that as well. <laughs> which um, so I didn't just turn up and was naturally good at using LinkedIn. I'd, I'd had a lot of practice and been punched in the face a few times, which yeah, is yeah. how you learn. Um, yeah. So, um, but I remember predicting this years and years ago, and, and mm. you know, I just got, I got rubbish as being an agency hater and blah blah blah. But I, I, it has got to, mm. you know, when Monster first came along, and I saw the whole job board thing, you know, and and agencies really only survive because HR people are so bad at recruiting.
0: True. But
1: but but, you know, the the rise of of corporate recruitment teams has taken so much food off the agency table and been. I think that's created a form of dystopia yes. in, the, in the agency world That, and I think a lot of them have struggled um, and have floundered a little bit and I think that's contributed towards the
0: I totally agree. I, think yeah. I I completely disagree with recruiters who say that in-house people are washed up recruiters. If anything, the in-house role can be more sophisticated and there's a lot more to it, I think. Sometimes. Well, I,
1: I worked in-house for four years, right. so I've, 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 I've walked the carpet yeah. um, and I learned a lot. Probably in, in the first two years I did that, in the four years I did it, the first two years... I probably I probably learned more in those two years Absolutely. than I did in the first 10.
0: You've got to the manage industry. up, manage down, manage sideways, manage oh. the recruiter. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, it, it opened my eyes to why there are agencies. Yeah. Because the attitude towards recruitment. Sure. Because I was only working in large corporates. Yes. Back then. Um, and I won't mention the names of the companies just because some of them I'll, I'll want to be quite scathing about. But um, the the most hiring managers that I've met that where, where I've been walking in the building every day, it's they, they really dislike recruiting, yeah. having to fill jobs. But they,
0: they, they desperately want us to help them because they can't do it themselves.
1: Yeah, but they treat recruiters like shit yeah. um, for a variety of reasons, which you don't necessarily get into, but they certainly, yeah, yeah. at best, they're holding them at arm's length. I agree. Um, so they, they're not giving them the ammunition they need to be able to do a decent job for them. Mm. And they think, well, if I, if I get three or four to run around for me, the, the, you know one of them will get lucky. Um, yeah. HR people... Um, don't get me started on HR people when it comes to recruitment. I don't think recruitment should sit in HR really until right. someone's hired. Yes. Then it can double back to HR. But I, I think it should sit in sales and marketing. I agree. I,
0: I think I think there used to be this concept of <coughs> candidates and even recruiters having a sense of self-entitlement, i.e. candidates expecting certain things. But I think the hiring managers and the employees, there's a, such a sense of sense, sense entitlement where you know they – even recruitment companies, they expect the old adage: "I want that person to run through a brick wall for me." I think that's mm. that's bollocks. I think I think, yeah. I th- I th- but in a good way. I think it's it's turning well, uh, turning, isn't it? I don't think
1: there's anything wrong with wanting people to do that if you're a very, very good manager. Mm. But how many great managers are there anymore? Not enough. Most people have, have had to become subject matter experts. Yeah. And again, because I'm old enough to remember the pre-internet days, you know, I was a sales recruiter. When I first came into recruitment, I recruited salespeople and sales managers. Sure. And I'd been a very successful salesperson and sales manager prior to coming into recruitment yes. for six years, six, yes. seven years. Um, So I had a little bit of an insight, which helped Mm. get me started Mm. Um, but you know people had to manage people back then management was a definable skill I hardly ever see the ability to manage people ever described in job ads or job descriptions anymore
0: Oh, it's, I mean, that's, that's why it falls down, isn't it? They might, Maybe. Yeah, they might yeah. have the right skill set, but they're not being managed or led. You mentioned sales and marketing. I want to touch on this point because I think, it, again, another misconception in my eyes is that, you know, sales is the most important thing. I think marketing is playing, branding, personal branding is playing a much more bigger part in, in our lives, would you reckon?
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue with that. It's certainly playing a much bigger part in everyone's lives. Um... I only see it through the prism of recruitment, yeah, and appreciate there's a lot of other stuff going on outside of recruitment in terms of you know the whole influence of marketing and, and and what personal branding means to different types of people. Mm. Um, personal branding becomes an issue for people who are employed, right? And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, mm. I'm just saying it's an issue. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies, you know, I've got a bit of a stranglehold of, over how people can communicate publicly particularly the larger the company, the, the tighter the stranglehold, yeah. generally. Yeah. So people are, often aren't given too much freedom in terms of what they talk about, how they talk about it online. Yes. Yep. And that includes recruiters, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame, actually.
0: What's your thoughts on kind of LinkedIn? Because it's, it, it is about uh, it is about personal brand ever more. So there's a lot of video stuff going on. You have to be human. You have to, you know, going on the binary corporate kind of images of people with their logo behind them, and all that kind of stuff. How how are, you, how are you adapting to that? What's your thoughts on it?
1: Um, how have I adapted? It's been easy because um, I don't report to anyone. I, I do what the hell I like, <laughs> you know, right. and have, and I'll learn from my own mistakes. Um, and I've sailed close to the wind a few times, as, as is widely known. Yes. Um, but, um, look, for, for me, my golden rule with social media, and I think I think this would be good advice for most people, is, you know, I, I, being a good writer writing things that people want to read Mm. takes time to develop. It took me years to to get good at it. Yeah. 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 And it takes practice. Nobody, you know, you can have some natural ability and I must've had a little bit, but I just worked at it. I read books. I didn't get any formal training. It's only through working with Jackie that I've actually become more of a technician when it comes to advertising in general and understanding the mechanics of it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, what I've brought to my content is knowledge and authority over certain subjects. So I don't get, I don't, I don't form two opinions that are too strong about things that I don't have a direct understanding and knowledge of. Mm. So I play safe in that respect. Um, my content is always peppered with humor. It is. Or as you called it, s- piss taking.
0: Satire.
1: But we, we can, you know, banter semantics all day. But, you know, it's humor. It's, yeah. it's taking a, you know. Uh, and and, awesome. and that makes the content more palatable. But the, the one golden rule that I have is I never ever say anything, even if it's a sarcastic piss take mm. or an or an off the cuff kind of yeah. remark. I'll never post anything that I cannot back up. Right. Yeah, that's good. I and mean, that, and I would I would urge everyone to free themselves up, but just say what you like, but make sure you can back it up if someone challenges you.
0: I mean. When I first saw you on LinkedIn, I re- I was originally kind of like, who the fuck's this guy? Yeah, it's that I and I, a lot of I love people it. Thought that because <laughs> I know it took me a while to get it, and I think now I love it. And a lot of people, you probably still get that now. But talk talk to us. What's 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 been your first or second most controversial posts?
1: Uh, well, the, the 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 one that everyone keeps coming back to is the, is the post I made about Hayes, which uh, I talked about on on that other podcast yeah. a few years back. Which I don't necessarily want to get into the nitty gritty of that anymore. But um, but yeah, it was a joke. Um, because it it incorporated the Nazi party. Um, it got a lot of heat, which mm. I felt was a bit stupid because people were adding dots right. to join up so that they could get offended. Jumping on the bandwagon some people were doing that as well um to be fair there were quite a few recruiters who who stood in front of the storm and said hang on a minute this is yeah yeah and i remember a lot of who those people were because it took it took some bravery to do that because it it, It was it was a firestorm uh, uh, for a couple of days um but i was lucky in so much as i came out of that even better than i beforehand Mm. because my follower numbers went up not connections cuz cuz there's a difference between connections sure. i only have 13000 connections on right. linkedin but i but my follower account is 45000 yes so there's a lot of people who have decided they want to follow me mm. than, and i think now people see the follower number i think i oh, he's already got 30000 connections it's pointless connecting right me. But actually, is not true if you want to connect with me guys do hit, it hit, hit the connect yeah, button because yeah. i've still got a long way to go to reach 30 um but my 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 follower account in 3 days went up by 1400 people mm Now, some of them would be ambulance chasers thinking, oh, what other bullshit is this guy going to create? But, yeah, and, and, you know, I think it was a joke. The joke I made, a lot of people resonated with it. And for jokes to be funny, they have to have some root in the truth. And what I said had some
0: root in the truth. So (laughs) there's more recruitment questions I want to ask you. But let's, let's get under the bonnet of the real Mitch. You talked about ADHD. You talked about alcohol paint us a picture about well, mental health anxiety uh, <laughs> adversity
1: um okay look right first of all yeah look, i met, i was i was typical of a lot of men in their 20s uh who were single and who went through periods of earning more money than they probably deserved to be making, which mm-hmm. I did. Mm. You know, I remember going out one lunchtime in 1989 to buy a sandwich, coming back with a Hugo Boss suit, cost 500 quid, which in 1989, 1990 was, was, was a, lot a stupid amount of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was reckless with money. I was a little bit reckless with how I socialised. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've never been an alcoholic. I hardly ever drink and haven't really drank that much for 10, 15 years yeah yeah but i can even now you know drink an awful lot over a six seven hour period but then not touch another drop for mm. a month or two months or, or even longer mm-hmm. um so the the alcohol was always a, a means to an end yeah in terms of altering my state you know making other people a bit more bearable blah blah, blah which which is part of the adhd thing look AD, uh, yeah throughout my whole life adhd was was you know it was undiagnosed people right. I, didn't, you know, I only knew what it was three years ago sure. and I've only come to learn a little bit more about it through my daughter okay. who, um, who is, is in the business of neurodivergency. Right. Uh, and I don't want to talk about her um, or get into any detail about her because that wouldn't be right or fair, but it's only through trying to help her through some of her struggles mm. that I've realized because mm. she's my daughter and she is so, so like me in so mm. many ways oh, okay. and it made me realize, my God, it's made me reevaluate my whole life because I've looked back and so many instances in my life where I've realized, well, wow, that's why I acted that way. And that's wow. why I, I responded to things in that way. Or that's why mm. I just thought it was I was an idiot. It turns out you know, I, was, I was an idiot sometimes, obviously. But, um, yeah, it, it turns out that my brain works in a certain way, mm. which is very similar to how my, my daughter's brain works. Um,
0: See, knowing that now i mean it must have almost been a relief in a way because
1: it's too late it was too late yeah i i've 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 become very comfortable with who i am over the last 10 years right um and that's just as a function of age which mm. is experience yes, um indeed. and so, whilst I, I live with a lot of regrets, I mean, I'm, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go, anyone that goes through a divorce, particularly if there's kids involved, it's just one of the most painful things you can experience. I
0: can see that myself. Um,
1: and and I, I still, it caused me a lot of anguish just mm. thinking back to it. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, I just, what I've, the last couple of years, I've had to look back over my life and, and, and re examine periods of my life I think, Right, now I'm starting to understand why that happened the way it yeah. did more clearly now sure. than I did at the time. Sure. At the time, I just felt like a, a, a ball in a pinball machine yes. sometimes. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, I agree. So, it, it yeah, I, I don't dwell on it too much.
0: Um, I think sometimes, though, um, I'm all for kind of um, looking forward, but sometimes you do have to go back. You do have to go inward before you can go forward again. And I think that... Um, <clears throat> You know i think sometimes in recruitment we're so transfixed into the next deal or or, or business that we forget some of these softer skills and the empathy understanding and looking inward i, th- I think this is called the Purpose Dead Leadership podcast and my purpose now is completely different to what it was when I was running a big business and I'm much happier now. Yeah. I'm I'm more rich in fulfillment and purpose than I am financially. I wouldn't trade what I am now for what I was back then. And I, I get it, the sense you've got the same kind of thing.
1: Yeah, look, the the social media has been a great thing for me. Mm. It it's played to my strengths some mm. of which were created by my my ADHD. Sure. You know, which were, you know, looking back Always been a big picture guy. Never been particularly great at detail. Um, sometimes have tremendous problems switching my head off. Right. Literally, I can't stop my brain. You know, that had negative effects on my sleeping patterns because I literally just couldn't stop wow. thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that my daughter suffers from that sometimes as well. Mm. Um, just all or nothing. I have. I've, I've always had a very all or nothing mm. personality mm. where I'm all in. Or it's right. yeah, um, yeah, and I've I've kind of always preached to my kids that if you're going to do something, you have to give it your all. Yes. You have to try your hardest, or just don't bother. Mm. Or if you start something and think well, maybe this is not for me, then quit. Get out. Get out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, um, yeah it, it, it's I, I I you know I haven't gone into it. I you know I've only examined this part of who I am because of my daughter. Mm. I'm not too interested in in doing a complete relitigation of my life cuz no. I don't see any point but no, no. it's some of it's made a lot more sense. Um yeah. and and so look social media now has given me the ability to express my thoughts, get feedback on some of those thoughts. Mm. Um mm. It's
0: an outlet almost. Yeah. Um Have you had I, therapy or anything like that? Counseling or
1: <sighs> Wow, we're getting deep here, aren't we? I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah, an awful I,
0: thing these days, no?
1: I, look, I did um, for a while, when I was going through when my marriage was breaking down, and I was um, I was throwing uh, too many stimulants into my body at the time as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't do it for that long. Yeah. Maybe it's because I thought the guy was a bit of a hack. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought no, I, I can work this through this stuff myself. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I, I tried that. It didn't really work for me. Um, I'm a little bit too bullheaded perhaps um, yeah, yeah,
0: you got. i mean I think I think it's it's a journey that we go on, and I think we 've all got mental health i've I'm a mental health first aid a mental health advocate, and I've been very vocal on LinkedIn about some of the struggles that i've had, and I think when we start having these discussions, I think it's a strength, and a lot of people think whatever, but for me. This is how you. This is how you win clients as well, not just and it's relationships. It's, it's, this, this, this is another level of kind of connection for me. This, this is, how, you know, the... it,
1: yeah. I, look, I, I, I think, I think um, we're just we're learning more about ourselves. The yeah. world has changed so dramatically just in my lifetime. Absolutely. I remember thinking well, I used to look at my grandparents when I was young and think, wow, they've they've gone through so much change in their lifetimes. Yeah, you know. Yeah. airplanes, you know, <laughs> TV, radio, two yeah. world war, one world war, not two, oh, but, but, yeah. you know, just seismic stuff. You think, Wow, that will never happen again. But in a different way, the world just mm. in the last 30, 40 years has just been turned on its head. COVID is going to have an impact on all of us. Oh my God. the that we, of that we can't, is, yeah. we can't predict yet. The next 10 years that will roll out. Okay. Work from home is going to change the, 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 the patterns of how we, we do things. Mm. social media, um The abuse of social media, yeah you know how that gets policed managed sure you know, and by abuse i 'm talking you know at its most seismic level is you know the trumps of this world, you know, and the disinformation and the bullshit and the lies and 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 mm-hmm. you know the freedom of speech. How do you manage that? It it that that you know how we how we regulate the internet. I think is one of the big mm. societal questions that that we have to find answers to. We've over got the next. Elon Musk
0: at Twitter, now, haven't we? That'd be interesting.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. This, um, yeah, I don't know.
0: What's um, what's your proudest moment so far, Mitch?
1: Breaking the course record um, at golf that is at my local moment. club <laughs> when I was twenty-two years old.
0: Wow. Yeah, you happy with that?
1: Yeah, in terms of the, the the physical feeling I had inside my body when I did it, and and it stayed yeah. with me for quite a while afterwards, and there being a plaque in the clubhouse. Right.
0: Um.
1: I, awesome. I I used to play golf. as As, yeah. as, as is now obvious, uh, I didn't start till I was eighteen, and I got down to four handicap by the time I was twenty two. Wow. Um. I even toyed around with maybe you know maybe could I turn pro? Mm. Um, and um. And you know back then. Four, maybe getting down to three, I might have been on the verge of playing for the county, which which wouldn't have been a big thing. Yeah, um, but then I lost my driving license through drink driving. Right, lost my job, didn't have any money, and I had to quit golf for two or three years. So, mm. yeah, but th- and it's funny this this kind of doubles back to the ADHD thing actually because um, when I was playing between the age of you know getting better and better at golf and getting down to that lower handicap. Um, I, my temperament was awful mm-hmm. I mean I used to lose my temper on the golf course really badly I used to snap clubs over my knee scream shout mm-hmm. throw clubs mm-hmm. and it became all, something of a running joke and I was hauled up in front of the committee at the golf club two or three times and mm-hmm. uh, and they would implore me to to just try and calm down they said you, you know you can be so utterly charming yeah. and then you have these these red miss moments and right. and and looking back again that was an ADHD coming sure. out um, and I was lucky that I found golf because it's a very individual sport. There's no one else or nothing else you can blame other than yourself Mm, if things don't work. Yes. Um, And it forced me because I wanted to be good at golf and I wanted to be effective as a good amateur player.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And as I grew up, I worked at it, and I thought, I've, I've got to stop losing my temper. I've got to stop yeah, seeing red when I make double bogey on the first hole. You so
0: know? <laughs> it's the sense of achievement of winning the tournament, but also to curtail your... Anger.
1: It wasn't even winning the tournament. I just wanted to be capable. He, he was got the you. defining thing. I needed to learn, and I did. Yeah, yeah. I needed to learn how to get around a golf course in under 80 while I was playing rubbish
0: right if i was
1: hitting the ball bad sure sure you know it, back when i was younger i would have shot 90. yeah yeah but i learned how to be able to still shoot 77 or 78 whilst playing not very well so and, that, and that for me was a sign that i was maturing mm-hmm. and it, hel- it helped smooth some of the re- rough edges off me as a person because i took some of those lessons into life as well mm.
0: love uh, love that answer i mean that was 20 25 years ago moving forward longer actually i'm older than you i'm trying to be kind (laughs) 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 um what's your what's your purpose would you say purpose Mm. i'm
1: not big into grand statements like that actually you know i want to i want my business to be successful the copywriting business to be successful i think it's important um i'm looking forward to some serious competition coming into that particular training market. Yeah. That will tell me that more and more people are taking it seriously. At the moment, but certainly what, in the but why UK, why
0: are you doing? I'll ask the question differently. Why are you doing what you're doing? What, what's the why are you doing what you're doing? What's the reason for doing it apart from paying the bills? Is there more? Is there a more bigger reason than that, or not? Is it to give something back to the sector? Is it to? Have you thought about? I, look,
1: I wouldn't be able to do what I do with the amount of gusto that I sometimes bring to it, if I didn't believe in it, obviously. I've thought about it a lot. I think about a lot of things a lot.
0: That's just, so you're also bloody good at it, my... right?
1: Well, I don't have much competition at the moment in terms of teaching people how to write good copy mm-hmm. within the world of recruitment. I mean, it's niche. Yeah, There's tons of copywriters out there, millions of them. There's lots of copywriting trainers out there, but there's nothing currently, very little in the world that is specifically geared around recruitment.
0: Without being too disparaging to other recruiters, you're... Uh, uncharacteristically humble I'd say (laughs)
1: I'm not so sure about that Um, anyway look um, my purpose is to make money put some aside so my kids have got something to soften some of the blows they're going to experience as they get older so that's probably my biggest motivation is is to make Mm. their life a little bit easier as they get older
0: yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I was going to ask you what kind of gets you out of bed in the morning and what keeps you up at night. So, what 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 kind of what kind of five
1: o'clock gets me out of bed in the? I'm really? up at five so every starter? single day, Saturdays, Sundays.
0: What do you do in the mornings? Do You got routine or you uh, just
1: depends depends what 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 my diary looks like. But invariably, it's a couple of cups of tea, look at LinkedIn, read some of the reactions people have made to some of the things I might have said the day before. Mm. I, I you know believe it or not, I read probably twenty times more than I post on places like LinkedIn. Yes. Um, Didn't
0: you have a a, a period where you you were off LinkedIn for a while? No. Okay. I don't
1: post as often as I used to. I used to be fairly, almost every day I'd post something. Yeah, yeah. These days it's a couple of times a week. Yeah. But then it tends to be driven more by, if something comes to me, a lot of it's still off the cuff. Mm -hmm. I might read something that somebody posts and it'll spark a reaction. Yeah. A lot of my, my posts on LinkedIn have been created where I've started to type out a response as a comment,
0: yeah, yeah, and
1: as I'm typing, I think, whoa, 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 this is too good, this is too good. So <laughs> I've, I've cut and pasted it into a word document, and then I'll, I'll put some work into it, and put, yeah.
0: So in terms of like, do, do you find that people misunderstand you quite a lot because of the way that you you write your content? But in a way, you get you you get more followers by doing that, right?
1: Look, I I you're probably gonna have to ask other people. I, I it's it's difficult for me to second guess. Um, I suspect probably a lot of people think I'm grumpier and more miserable than I really am. Um, they, you know, probably think, "Oh yeah, he can be a bit negative," which is true. I'm, I'm a glass half-empty kind of person. Mm. Whenever I look at any situation, the first thing I look for is the floors. Right. Okay. You know, when I smell flowers, I look around for a coffin. Yeah, I'm just one of those types of people. Fair enough. That doesn't mean I, I want to get down on everything or be negative. It's just mm-hmm. that my instinct is to is to look for things that might go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, We're kind of coming towards the end of this. It's been fascinating. Sure. Um, just talk to us about kind of like we've all made mistakes. I made, I've made i made some big mistakes. What's been your biggest mistake or poor decision, would you say? My God, where do I start?
1: <laughs> You're talking about work-related decisions. Anything
0: you want to run with, really, Mitch?
1: I mean, there are some that are going to be too personal for, for me to want to reveal here. Um, I've made loads. I wouldn't say I've I've made any, you know, that I can think of right now that have been massive or seismic or life-changing. Yeah, yeah. It's been more a question of lots of sort of medium-sized mistakes, um, mm-hmm. you know, but I... I, I I look back on, you know, I, I lived in Switzerland for eight years. Oh, wow. I started a business over there, a recruitment business.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, that's when the whole retained and advertising thing started to really take shape. Yeah. I learned a lot, but I was in, you know, a very small market, you know, and I, I often look back on those years as me giving my best years to what essentially was a commercial backwater. Sure. And and wondered how much more I could have achieved had I been in the UK between yeah. 1996 and 2005. Um. Because those were my peak years. I, you know, in terms of you know, youthfulness, yeah. energy, knowledge, all kind of coming together, or starting to come together. Probably my my peak years were my forties, probably. Um, and I think they probably mm. are for a lot of people, actually, because it's it's where yeah. it's where wisdom meets energy.
0: I totally agree with that. You know, yeah. Um,
1: and as you get older, as you go past forty and and, and into your fifties and beyond, the energy levels start to sure. the, the wisdom doesn't go anywhere, but the energy levels yeah. start to decrease a little of, bit.
0: Yeah. At this age, you're kind of old enough to do whatever you want, but young enough to still, you know, yeah, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Um, so I th- I think everything that I've done, good and bad, has contributed to me being. In the position I am in now, which yes. is relatively comfortable okay. uh, in terms of my, my own sense of self. Uh, I don't beat myself up as much as I used to. Um, I've got a great partner who has made my life so, so much easier. Yes. Uh, who I've been with now for Lucy for 15 odd years oh, now. Wow. Congratulations! Um, I've got two great kids who I just enormous love and respect for. Yeah, um, who are both wildly different. I've even got a good relationship with my ex-wife, which which is incredibly satisfying as well. Well, that's good. So you know, it's it's all a journey. Um, and whilst I haven't reached any kind of nirvana, I'm relatively comfortable with with mm. where I've got to compared to where I was, say, twenty years ago.
0: I mean, you know, having built a big business myself, I'm now a solopreneur. I don't have any people working for me. I've got like suppliers and things like that. And I yeah, love me too. I same. love the flexibility and freedom yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, I almost will kind of like never go back. And I, I feel that, um, it, I mean, it would take a lot of money for me to be offered to, you know, to go back into that kind of environment. And I'm not sure why that is. I just, just talk to us about that kind of like, because some people struggle with the whole solopreneur being completely on their own. But I think i yeah. are quite similar. We kind of, I kind of enjoy that that flexibility.
1: Yeah. Look, I've, I've, I've I opted out of the, um, of the employed work market when I was, um, Thirty-three, thirty-two, right. thirty-three. So I was, I was young. Yeah. Looking back, I was relatively unemployable because I was too headstrong. <laughs> yeah. I was too difficult to manage. I mean, I've had a couple of great managers in my life, and and looking back, they were exceptional managers yes. to get the best out of me, um, because I I was capable of producing great results both before I came into recruitment and and mm. and since, mm. um, but could be a bit of a loose cannon, but a little bit unpredictable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've I've um, that's really the only life I've ever known is it's me and I have to make a living. And at times I found it incredibly tough. Incredibly do you do any in-person tough.
0: stuff? Do you go to any, is it all kind of remote stuff that you do? Or? Well,
1: yeah, I, I'm not the best networker in the world, but networking these days is much, much easier because of social media because yeah. people go, oh, it's Mitch Sullivan. So that, that helps, yes, obviously. Absolutely. So that means I don't have to initiate conversations and introduce myself, which I was never particularly good at. <laughs> um, so, yeah.
0: Okay. It, what, what are the out, out-of-date things recruitment agencies do versus what they should be doing now, do you think?
1: Out-of-date things? Yeah. Posting job descriptions. Yeah. It used to work. Back in the yes. mid-2000s, it worked because yeah, yeah. because um, it was quick. It got results, because and it got results because candidates were grateful for the fact they could find jobs really quickly on a job board, yeah, yeah? and they could respond to it quickly via email you know with an electronic c v mm. um, and so it worked, but it's just gradually worked less and less and less as time goes on though so, so look in in the part of the recruitment ecosystem that I inhabit mm. that's the biggest the biggest problem that I see um, yeah but for me, the most fundamental is the contingency model it's got to be adapted i think there's that there's more culpability has to be laid at the feet of the clients yeah for the recruitment system to work better
0: yeah are most of your clients the more senior recruiters as opposed to trainees and rookies is that right
1: no there's no no it's across the board yeah some of the best in terms of outcome yeah yeah. output immediately after the training some of the Best recruiters had been in the industry six months. Yes, sir. So with those people, there was there was n- practically nothing to unpack. Yeah, they're, what they're I've not, not tarnished
0: with a bad brush, right?
1: Yeah, and what I've noticed with some, not all, but with some. Older, more experienced recruiters—they get locked into certain habits, yeah, yeah. grammatical habits, ways of expressing things. Certain—I mm-hmm. call them grammatical ticks. It's almost they're writing them without even realizing. Right. And then it's only through when I do these one—and I've done hundreds of these one-to-one coaching sessions with recruiters where they'll send me an ad they've written, and we'll we'll go through it and dissect it, yeah, yeah, almost yeah. line by line, and I will yeah. explain why that needs to be deleted and yeah. and, and and why that works yeah. and where it should, which part of the ad it should be, and. And yeah, they, they and it them getting out of those habits takes a little bit of effort. I agree. Um
0: what what advice would you give to, to rookies or new people entering the sector?
1: Recruitment writing advice or recruitment advice? In gen-
0: well in general actually.
1: Oh uh, God, that's a big question. Mm. Let let me narrow it down. <laughs> when they're in front of a keyboard yes. and they're typing out, you know, writing a blog, sending a message to a candidate, writing a job post or job ad. Um, writing an email, writing a social media post, write as you would speak. Absolutely. Write down what you want to say, then go through it line by line and keep asking yourself, so what? So what? What does this mean to the reader? Is this going to mean anything to them? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Are they going to want to keep reading as a result of reading this sentence? Are they going to want to read the next sentence? And put it in language that's nice and simple and straightforward. And that means not using words like facilitate and using the (laughs) word help. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: I agree with that. You know, if if you, I think if you look at a hundred recruitment websites, say and a hundred recruitment kind of workforce pages, ninety nine. Yeah, they all sound the same. Say the same. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, doesn't? Yeah. That really I think they
1: all copy each other. I, I think well, they go right. We need a careers page. Yeah. And they go right, Let's have a look and see what other agencies yeah. are that saying, well, so we same. get a sense of what we need to do. Yeah. Um. Very few people are, are brave enough to want to stand out. I, I think when you're running a <laughs> contingency. Predominant an agency that's predominantly predominantly sorry contingency it does get quite hard to say anything that's that's yeah that's that's tangibly different yeah but they could say it in a different way and and too many of them aren't prepared to do that or don't know how to um but that, that if if social media has done one thing that's brilliant in my view is it's made it far more acceptable and mainstream for language to be more conversational and more colloquial Mm. So, yeah, so that kind of stiff formality that a lot of recruitment comms used to have yeah, yeah. Is, is slowly being eroded, which I think is a great thing.
0: Okay. Um, you mentioned work from anywhere, work from home. How do you feel that's going to or has affected recruitment in general? Um, I believe that a blend of the two is the utopia. What do you think?
1: Yeah, look, it's, it's, I think it's made an already complicated arena more complicated, Yeah, yeah. which is not a good thing how are we going to train trainees it, you can't do that from home no it's much much harder um gee uh, yeah it's, it's, it's a big question but yeah yeah, look it's complicated uh, it's going to suit some people and some jobs and some companies more than it is others yeah. and, and everyone's got to find their own little sweet spot yeah. wherever that might be
0: uh, it's been absolutely fascinating um before we go a couple more questions um you've been saying this last 20 minutes i know it's it's one of the tricks of mine (laughs) um is recruitment that bad compared to other sectors we we get a lot of flack right but actually i think you know there's a certain percentage of the recruitment community that have an enormous amount of emotional intelligence because we have to because we're dealing Mm. with people what do Mm -hmm. you think yeah i agree
1: i agree um I've got respect for anyone who's 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 done at least six, seven, eight years in the business yeah, yeah. and is still in it because it takes a certain amount of fortitude and, and and stickability, definitely, and resilience and and you know a small you know some skill in terms of you know, mm. but you know the the yeah. yeah but you know one of the things about recruiters that pisses me off something's just occurred to me is they'll overinflate their role sometimes is to talk about the use it, and like finding people their dream job yeah top talent you know best in the market yeah um you know and changing people's lives i wrote a blog about that once i think what the fuck seriously yeah. <laughs> you're not changing the candidates changing their life not right. you all you're mm-hmm. doing is opening a door through which you know if they decide to walk they're doing the hard work they're doing the walking right not sure, you. Sure, sure. So you you're know. not a
0: fan of the virtual signaling around? No,
1: no, I'm not. I mean, and, and I think if you do recruitment well, it can be an incredibly well-paid job. It can be very mm. rewarding on lots of levels, not least financially. Mm. But to start bestowing upon yourself some kind of social significance. That wow. that, that, that kind of...
0: Did you not not necessarily get fulfillment out of placing somebody in the role Pop. And...
1: Yeah, of course. Somebody yeah. rings you up and say, thank you so much. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and you're one of the best recruiters or for the best I've ever worked with. You know, i remember the first time i heard that as a, a woman and i even remember her name which I, i'm not going to mention here but um <laughs> she um she said you're right up there with with one of the best recruiters i've ever worked with and i was just about old enough then to to, to, to sprinkle some salt on that and go yeah okay <laughs> but you've just got landed a great job didn't with a go big head. company no exactly i didn't i didn't um
0: What's your thoughts on this kind of? You know, I'm an archetypal, you know, three hundred and sixty recruit. I did it all on my bloody self. Maybe because I was too controlling. When then I, I did have some a team of resources and people helping me. In, yeah. the end. But this whole kind of ninety, one eighty, two seventy, you know, four thousand people doing all these things for one job. I mean, I'm, I'm quite anti it, but I do get it in certain contexts. What's your, what's your view on that?
1: I'm a little bit biased because when I came into the industry. Um, the different parts of the job were segregated so uh, my first ever job in recruitment believe it or not was as a manager I was managing oh, okay. recruiters
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it was a sales recruitment office it was for a PLC company mm-hmm. at the time uh, I opened their first ever London office they had 14 or 15 other offices throughout the country and I had three recruiters yeah. Two of the, um, one whose job it was simply to deal with candidates all day long yeah. and meet them yeah. and register them. Because back then you had to register candidates formally. Of course. Before you were allowed to send them out of an interview. Yes. And if you were caught not registering a candidate physically, face to face, the DOE could shut you down. Right. And then there were two others whose job it was purely to make phone calls to bring jobs into the business. Uh, And my job was to close that business. Mm -hmm. So once the candidate and the job had been put together, my job was then to call the client and to manage the process. So everybody was doing a different part of the process. So I I have a natural tendency towards seeing the benefits of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a client um, that I work with, an uh, an agency who have a similar model. So the, the sales and marketing is centralized. Right. Meaning it's automated, it's inbound.
0: Yes. yes. And, it,
1: and they're just starting to make yeah. that work. Isn't it yeah, take? Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, and the recruiters, their job purely is to attend the intake meeting with the client. Yeah. Yeah. They they don't work contingency either. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not competing with other agencies. Yeah. And their job is purely to understand the job, sit behind the right marketing, which they're not yeah. responsible for themselves. Um. Manage resources but, whose job is to build the Boolean stuff and to and yeah. to search. Um, and then to respond to those candidates that show an interest. This is where a good leader, it's a pure delivery.
0: A recruit, a good recruitment manager or leader will understand the strengths and weaknesses of an individual and put them in the right roles. That's why it's important. I,
1: think. I tell you why recruitment comes gets a lot of flack. Mm. It gets a lot of flack because even people who are quite good at it are sometimes going to be quite bad at it. Right. And that's because being a, being a recruiter asks you to be a little bit good at marketing, sales, absolutely, PR, yes, admin, research management totally. yeah there's a lot of things to be reasonably good at and i don't know of a human being on the planet who's good at all those things very true. some of those things i've just mentioned i'm awful at That's very true but some of them i'm pretty good at yeah
0: a and rare i think breed, that isn't it a 360 is a rare breed these days so
1: i think <laughs> yeah look i i did 360 recruitment as well after that job um and in fact it, it it's it helped me develop as, as a recruiter having to mm. having to eat what i could kill basically Absolutely. um
0: so on the, on the sort of last question and then one more after that I promise KPIs what's your view on it what's important what's not
1: I think KPIs are important but only so that the people running the business can see what's going on um I don't think they should be set as targets mhm yeah so, you look at the numbers and you use that as the bedrock for training and development and mentoring for each individual recruiter in terms okay. of whatever the numbers are.
0: I've always said CVs, jobs, interviews are the most important ones. You know, Sorry, say that again? CVs, jobs, and interviews, the number of new jobs, number of CVs you're sending, number of interviews you're getting. I think, I think
1: yeah, I mean, CVs, CV submissions to interviews is, is, is a good stat. Obviously, because that tells you quite a lot about the quality of the work that the yeah, recruiters doing.
0: Yeah, conversion rates. You know, if you're sending yeah. forty eight CVs for one interview, then it's something wrong. Yeah. Or if you're getting, but
1: again, that, that that's that's contingency, and I tend not to look too much at contingency businesses because yeah. I'm not that yeah, really yeah, interested. Definitely. I only really get involved with agencies that are w- either working retained or
0: working towards working retained. That makes sense. So- so we are now concluding. It's been absolutely fascinating, mate. Um, Thank you. If there's one thing you'd like to leave the audience with in terms of a tip, piece of advice, in recruitment or copywriting, whatever, what would that be? Oh, my God, you put me
1: on the spot here. Um, I, I, look, I, this is going to sound corny, but just you know, keep getting up. When you get punched, and we all get punched mm. and get decked, get up. You have to keep getting up. Yes. Yeah, and you have to not take anything personally. Um, and you have to brush the dirt off and keep going and that sounds incredibly corny and I'm not known for coming out with corny stuff like that but that's the, <laughs> I the think best I have take I a photo
0: of. of that that's the first time ever isn't it <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh if that goes viral I'm moving
0: <laughs> well absolutely a great way to end a fascinating conversation I could talk to you for a lot longer really really appreciate it thanks for coming on
1: thanks Chris thanks for inviting me it's good Thank to you. good to finally meet you as well and you man. <laughs>
0: The purpose led leadership podcast is sponsored by Vincheri, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincheri because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle, and back office operations of executive search, perm contract and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincheri. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at binsherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.